everyone is broken and in need of a savior. There's the, there's the first half of the bottom line of the message of Christianity, of the message of Jesus. And the second half is that that savior has come in the person of Jesus and he has washed away all of our sins, all of our brokenness. Uh, We no longer need to live in guilt and no longer need to live in shame. Uh, We're all broken. We hurt one another. We hurt those that we love. Uh, We don't live up uh, even to our own standards, never mind uh, to God's. We look for fulfillment in all the wrong places and none of those places uh, satisfy us. And instead, we need to look to Jesus and to his love and his grace and his forgiveness. And that's the bottom line message of the gospel of Jesus, that uh, Jesus has come, has died on the cross, has risen again, that we could have new life, that we might have a relationship with God and have abundant life uh, in him. And we as uh, followers of Christ here at Renaissance have two symbols, or we could call them mini dramas that we celebrate together, baptism and communion. And both of those symbols, both of those mini dramas encapsulate uh, this message, this message of hope and of love and of grace and of forgiveness. And they're there to remind us, they're there to be part of our celebration together of the God who loves us and who sent his son to die for us. But if you're, if you're like me and you're familiar with baptism and communion, I was baptized 30 or so years ago and I've celebrated communion hundreds of times. So if you're like me, there's a familiarity there that from time to time makes me lose sight of what's really going on behind baptism and communion. Or if you're new to all of this, you really don't know what baptism and communion are all about because no one's ever explained it to you. You're like the way I was uh, when I first went to church the very first time uh, many, many years ago in the late 1960s. I was about uh, eight or nine years old, and my father and I were on a YMCA Indian Guides uh, camping trip, and uh, I think they call it Adventure Guides now. But uh, in any case, we went out on this camping trip, and at the end of the trip, Uh, We all went to church because it was the YMCA, Young Men's Christian Association, and uh, they took everybody to church. So we get there, and I was clueless. I had, like, no idea what was going on. It was almost like going to a foreign country because everything was unusual to me. It starts off, and there's this guy standing up front, and he's wearing a big black dress. So, you know, you've got this, this man there wearing a dress. Obviously, it was a robe, but I didn't understand it at the time. And so you sit down on these long wooden benches that seem to be hard and tilt you forward just enough so that you know you're not supposed to stay there too long. But fortunately, they had these footrests in front, you know, that you could put your feet on and and prop up your feet. Uh, And those of you who are from, uh, say, a Roman Catholic background understand why all the other people sitting on that long wooden bench were giving dirty looks to me because 
those are not footrests, they're kneelers for when you're bowing down and praying. And uh, so, you know, but for me, it was a cross-cultural experience. I had no clue what was going on. They had these two books in front of us. And now again, I know now one's a Bible and the other was the hymn book. But uh, the man in the dress is calling out like these football signals. And he'll say, Matthew 15, 24 and 25. And everybody grabs the one book and opens it up and starts reciting this poem. And then he says, Amazing Grace, number 234. And everybody stands up and starts singing. You know, I had no clue. I was expecting like some sort of a football pass after a little while, after a little while with all these signals. I just didn't know what was going on. And there's a rich symbolism. There's a rich meaning in all of that. But I didn't get it because no one had ever explained it to me. And then the worst part came at the end of the service. We're all filing out and there's the man in the black dress and everybody is bowing down out of respect. That's what I thought in in front of this man. And they're making these hand signals in front of themselves. And even my father knew the hand signals that they were supposed to do. So I'm walking up there, and I'm just, I have no clue what to do. So I said, okay, I'm just going to do the most respectful thing I can think of. And I bowed, and I went like this. You know, and I think the priest, the poor priest, I just hope and pray that that man understood I was being respectful to him. He was probably dying laughing on the inside, you know. But there you go, okay? I'm an eight, nine-year-old kid, and I had no clue what was going on. You know, you ever been in a situation like that where you've got no clue what you're supposed to do? And I would hate for that to be the case here at Renaissance. We try as hard as we can to make everything transparent, to make everything clear. But if you've never had baptism explained to you, maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, so why is it that they kind of like water some kid, you know? Um, Or if you've ever witnessed uh, a, a baptism of an adult, you're asking, why are they giving them this like really fast bath in a swimming pool or something? Or how about communion? All you get is this little cracker and a little cup of juice. It's not enough, you know? I mean, I'm still hungry afterwards. What's the point behind this? And if it's never been explained to you, how can you understand it? But if it has been explained to you, like me, we need that reminder to keep it fresh, to keep it meaningful. And in both baptism and communion, there's a picture of the message of Jesus and his love and his grace and his forgiveness and his healing and his cleansing from our brokenness. And so my hope this morning is that uh, if you're new to this whole Christianity thing, you get an understanding, just kind of a 50,000-foot overview of what's going on with baptism and communion. And if if you've been around for a while, My hope is that it'll be a refresher and a reminder, and maybe you'll learn something new as well. So let's start with with baptism. Here at Renaissance, we have a couple of different ways in which we celebrate baptism. First one is for those who are followers of Christ, for those who have consciously put their faith in Jesus and have said, I need your cleansing, I need your forgiveness, I need your love, I need your grace, We celebrate baptism typically, though not exclusively for them, by immersion, by placing them. uh, Usually we do this in in a swimming pool at someone's house because we don't have a baptismal tank here at the church. By placing them uh, in the swimming pool and having them uh, go under the water and come up again. And it's, it's a reflection of their faith in Christ. And in fact, 
Uh, The Apostle Paul, who was one of the writers of the New Testament, explains it this way. He talks about it being a reflection of our unity with Jesus in his death and his burial and his resurrection. Let's take a look at Romans chapter 6. Paul writes, Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too may live a new life. So for the follower of Christ who's baptized by going down into the water, that going down symbolizes their death and their burial with Jesus, not in a physical way, but in a spiritual way. It's as if when Christ died on the cross, we died with him. It's as if when he was buried, I was buried with him. And coming up out of the water symbolizes his resurrection. He came back to life and we come to new life. And so that's part of the symbolism that's found when a follower of Christ is baptized by immersion in in water. The other aspect to the symbolism, and this is is the one that was uh, being talked about in the song that uh, Sophia was singing, is this idea of cleansing, this idea of cleansing from our sin or cleansing from our brokenness. When Paul, the Apostle Paul, became a follower of Jesus, he wasn't always a follower of Jesus. Initially, actually, he was a persecutor of the followers of Jesus. But when he came to faith in Jesus, when he trusted him, Uh, there was a man named Ananias who spoke to him. And Ananias said in Acts chapter 22, so Paul, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. And so this idea of baptism as a cleansing from sin, and you can see the idea of water having this sort of ceremonial idea of cleansing. It doesn't actually physically cleanse us from dirt. It doesn't actually cleanse us from our sin, but it reflects or it symbolizes or it reminds us of that cleansing from sin that's occurred when we've trusted Christ, when we've said, okay, I'm broken and I need, I need that river of your love to come over me and to wash me from my sins. So those are the two different symbolisms uh, that are present when a follower of Christ is baptized. When that follower of Christ stands up and says, I am a follower of Christ and makes, in a sense, a public proclamation in the midst of others who have trusted Christ as well. We also practice here at Renaissance infant baptism when a a young child who isn't yet capable of consciously believing in Jesus, of consciously recognizing their need, when they're baptized... Typically, uh, that's done by sprinkling because it would be a rather awkward situation for the uh, child to be dunked. Although, interestingly, in some traditions, I was reading recently, in some traditions, they actually do immerse the child, and in some traditions, they sprinkle adults as well. So it's the, the particular mode, the particular way it's done is a little less important than the meaning behind it. When a, when a child is baptized that typically represents the idea that this child is becoming part of the community of faith. The parents are saying, this child is part of our physical family, and now we want him or her to become part of our spiritual family, to become part of this church. Not in the sense that they become an official member, 
but that they're recognized as being part of that community of faith, of those who are followers of Christ. And in fact, in the New Testament, often when uh, the head of the household, whether it was the the father or the mother, uh, would come to faith in Christ, often the entire household followed coming to faith in Christ and being baptized as well. There's a, uh, an incident that's recorded in Acts chapter 16 where this Paul who we had talked about before, uh, he was in jail with a friend of his named Silas. They had been talking about Jesus. They had been telling others about Jesus. They were thrown in jail. About midnight, a great earthquake occurs. The uh, jail is busted wide open. The jailer is ready to kill himself because the prisoners are about to escape. Paul says, don't worry, we're all still here. The jailer falls down on his faith on his face, and he says, I want to become a follower of Jesus. And Paul says to him, okay, verse 31, you need to believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them, Paul and Silas, washed their wounds, and then immediately he and all his household were baptized. And the presumption was that there were young children there as well, and so that they were baptized uh, along with the parents who had, who had trusted in Christ. So again, the water being used pictures the cleansing of sin, in this case, in anticipation of the child coming to faith in Christ. child at that age can't obviously consciously believe in God, so the parents are saying, we anticipate, we pray, that, uh, and, we, and it is our desire to bring this child up to the point where he or she is going to come to faith in Christ. So that's something that we offer as well here at Renaissance for those who uh, believe that that is the way that they would like to uh, obey the command to be baptized. We also have the opportunity uh, of infant dedication. For those who say, you know, I would rather wait and allow my son or my daughter to come to the point where he or she can make that decision themselves to be baptized, I'd like to wait for that, but... I want to do something for them as a child. I want to dedicate them to God. I want to say before the congregation here that I want to raise my child to become a follower of Christ, and I want your prayers as well. We offer the option uh, for parents to dedicate that child, and that uh, follows a pattern that was actually started back in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And there, uh, a woman named Hannah had been praying for years and years and years for a child, and God gave her a son, and his name was Samuel. And we pick up in, uh, in verse 27. Hannah says, I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him, or I dedicate him to the Lord. For his whole life, he'll be given over or dedicated to the Lord. Hannah's saying, God gave me this son, and now I'm giving him back. I'm dedicating him back to God. My desire is that he be a servant of God, that he be a follower of God. And so some parents like the opportunity to stand up in front of others and say, I want to do the same thing. God has given me this gift of a child, and I want to dedicate him or her to God. Finally, another option that we have is for those who would say, you know, I've been around for a while. Uh, I'm not so sure that I'm a follower of Christ. I haven't made that step I haven't taken that step yet. I still have some questions, some concerns. But you know what? Jesus is really attractive, and I want my son, I want my daughter 
to, to know more about Jesus and to be blessed by him. We have the opportunity for what we would call an infant blessing. Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 13. People were bringing their little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. And he took the children in his arms, he placed his hands on them, and he blessed them. And so if you're here and you're saying, "Mm, I'm not so sure about this whole baptism thing, I'm not sure I'm a follower of Jesus, but I am attracted to him, and I I want my child to be blessed, we have that option as well. So if you're interested in that, please do, uh, please do talk to one of us. So there you go. Baptism pictures Christ's death, his burial, his resurrection, our cleansing from sin, it, 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 our, our cleansing from our brokenness. It pictures that message, that core message of Christianity. And for me, it's an opportunity for me to look back and to see and to remember that time when I first trusted Christ, when I first came to be a follower of Christ. And for us as a community, it's an opportunity to celebrate, if it's with a follower of Christ, to celebrate that this person is following after Christ. They're identifying themselves in that way. Or if it's with, uh, with a child, to say, this child is part of our community, part of the community of faith, and we're welcoming him or her into that community. Similarly, communion, or what some people call the Lord's Supper, has a similar but slightly different meaning. And we celebrate that on a regular basis. Here at Renaissance, we celebrate it monthly because we need that monthly reminder of our relationship with Christ and the fact that we need that ongoing cleansing and forgiveness from sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Communion has a couple of different aspects to it. One is a remembering, a looking back at what Christ has done. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. When those first Christians uh, were celebrating communion with Jesus the first time on the night when he died, the night before he died, uh, at what we would call the Last Supper, they were celebrating actually a Passover meal together. And for those of you who are not familiar with it, Passover was a Jewish holiday in which uh, the Jews remembered and looked back at their deliverance from slavery in Egypt. And Jesus took a couple of symbols, the the bread and the cup, from that meal, he took those symbols and invested in them a fuller and a fresh meaning with regard to himself. So as the Jews were celebrating their deliverance from slavery in Egypt, we celebrate our deliverance from our brokenness and our slavery to sin. And Jesus is saying, as often as you do this, You're remembering my body, which was broken, my death for you, and my blood, which was shed for the forgiveness for your sins. And so again, there's a mini picture, a mini drama that reflects and symbolizes the truth about that message of Jesus and his love and his grace for us. But he also says, as often as you celebrate this, you're proclaiming Christ's death until he comes. And the interesting part of that is it's a proclamation 
not primarily to those who have never heard about it, but primarily to those who have already believed the truth. It's a proclamation to the followers of Christ who are gathered together and to myself uh, first and foremost. It's proclaiming to me that Christ died for my sins, that he gave his life for me, that he died because I was broken, that God loves me and that nothing can separate me from the love that God has for me. And so in that sense, it's a proclamation to me, but it's also proclamation to one another because we need that constant reminder. We need to remind each other because it's so easy to take our focus off Christ and to get our focus on our circumstances and to be discouraged. So we proclaim that to one another, but it's also a celebration of our unity, of our community. We call it communion in part because it's a celebration of our community, of our unity as followers of Christ. And what we're saying is, because we are all followers of Christ, we have something in common as his followers, and we share that love and that encouragement and that grace with one another. So communion is not only a celebration of the forgiveness that we've received, it's also a celebration of the community that we're all part of. And here at Renaissance Communion is open to all who are followers of Christ. You don't have to be an official member of Renaissance. It could be your first week here. It could have been here for years. All you need to do is be someone who's a follower of Jesus, who has trusted him to cleanse you from your sin, and who wants to follow after him. And we celebrate here communion typically once a month on a Sunday evening, usually the first Sunday evening of the month at a service that we call Vespers, and a number of you have been out to that. It's a wonderful time of reflection, thinking about what Christ has done for us, singing some songs together, praying together, hearing a message from the Bible, and celebrating communion together. And I hope that uh, if you haven't been out before, I hope you'll come out uh, even this next month, June 6th, 6 o'clock here in the auditorium. Great way to, uh, to celebrate communion together. So where are you? You know, where are you today in your spiritual journey? Maybe you're just starting out and uh, you'd say, I'm not a follower of Christ, but I'm kind of interested in finding out more. Say, great. Keep coming on Sunday mornings. Keep exploring. Ask some questions. Come to one of our explore groups and ask some questions there. And ask yourself this question. What is standing between me and me becoming a follower of Christ? What is keeping me at this point from becoming a follower of Christ? Maybe you just need more time to think things through. Maybe you got some questions. That's fine. But keep exploring. Keep taking that next step. What if you're a follower of Christ? If you haven't been baptized, either as as an infant or later on as an adult, let me encourage you to prayerfully consider taking that step of faith and being baptized. And if you're interested in that, please talk to me. Please talk to Rich. We'll give you the opportunity uh, later on this year to be baptized. Great way to take that next step in your relationship with Christ. If you're already baptized, or even if you're not, let me encourage you to make celebrating communion with others who are followers of Christ. Let me encourage you to make that part of your regular worship of God. It's a great opportunity. It's a great way to to strengthen your faith on a regular basis and to, to be a blessing to others as well as we celebrate that together. And don't forget your children. 
You know, where, wherever they are, wherever you are, if, if they're young, if they're not yet old enough to believe, and if you want to have them baptized, please talk to one of us. We'd love to help you think that through and, and, and figure out where you are there. If you want to have them dedicated, if you want to just have a, an, an infant blessing, a, a ceremony there, please let one of us know. We'd love to schedule a time to talk with you about that and an opportunity for them to be baptized or dedicated or blessed. So wherever you are in your relationship with Christ, whether you're participating in baptism and communion or whether you're just observing it, let me encourage you that the next time there's that opportunity, take that opportunity to take a next step closer to God, to remember that the symbolism behind that is really what was being talked about in that song. Everyone is broken and in need of a Savior, and Christ is is that Savior who has died for us, who has risen again, that we could have new life, that we can have a relationship with him, and that we can be part of a community of followers of Christ who love him and love and encourage one another. So let me encourage you, take even just a little time this afternoon to pray and to consider, where am I in my relationship with Christ, and what's the next step that I can take to grow closer to him? Let's pray together. Father, thanks for baptism and for communion, for these symbols, for these mini dramas that you've given us to remind us of these deep spiritual truths. And Father, I pray for each of us that as we participate in these, as we observe these, as we celebrate them together, that they wouldn't just be empty rituals with no meaning for us, but that they would more and more and more remind us of the depth of your love, of the incredible grace and forgiveness that you've shown us in Jesus. And I pray for each of us that we, wherever we are in our spiritual journey, would take that next step and grow closer to you. Thank you that you're a God of love and of grace and of forgiveness. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.